Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have the privilege of talking today with an alumnus of Beeson Divinity School, Matt Adair. Matt uh, has worked in Presbyterian churches, both when he was a student here at Birmingham and now that he is located in Athens, Georgia, near the University of Georgia. He is the pastor of Christ Community Church in Athens. It's a church that's affiliated with the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, and also with the Acts 29 Network. And so I want to talk to Matt about some of these things. But first of all, Matt, it's great to hear your voice. Welcome back to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Dean. It's uh, great to hear your voice as well and really an honor to be uh, with you today. Tell us a little bit about uh, your own spiritual journey, how you came to faith in Christ, and in turn to the ministry and what led you to Beeson. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents are both from Birmingham, and uh, they were part of Frank and Barbara Barker's first youth group at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Really with that influence uh, and their role in my life, we moved around a lot. My dad was in the Air Force, so we lived in uh, exotic locales like Merced, California and Abilene, Texas, and were part of uh, Southern Baptist churches moving around at the time. And so I've always had, I, I feel like, just a, a great connection, I think, to the gospel through my parents and the churches they had me involved with and just sort of went through seasons in my life of where I think the the gospel uh, was really pressed into my life um, at an early age. I can remember significant conversations with my mom as early as kindergarten. I uh, can remember going through uh, certain things growing up. I was in a fairly severe car accident around the age of 10. That caused me to ask a lot of questions, uh, got into a little bit of trouble in high school, that caused me to ask questions, and so this continuing pressing of the gospel into my life and the pursuit of God uh, in my life. Significant growth when I was a student at Samford University, and a lot of the reason why I ended up coming to Beeson. That's wonderful. You mentioned Frank Barker. Uh, when we began Beeson in 1988, uh, Frank uh, became such a good friend and encourager to me, and he still is. You know, He's still very active in the work of the Lord, and for those of you who don't know that name, Frank Barker was the founding pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church, a wonderful man of God, a man of uh, impeccable character, integrity, and real love for Christ. And I'm glad to know he had such an influence on you as a young person. He did. He actually, uh, before my baptism when I was an infant and also was significant in leading my grandfather to Christ, my grandfather ended up being an elder at Briarwood. So he means a lot to me personally and to our family. Now, talk a little bit about your uh, experience here at Beeson. What was that like? Uh, how did it help you in terms of what you're doing now? And who are some of the people that really uh, meant the most to you? My time at Beeson was very helpful and formative. I think even more so having been out for about 10 years now. God really, I think, was very faithful and sovereign in me both coming and, and being there because I, I came in really as someone, I think, who was trying to validate myself as a man through ministry and, and working with college students and, and young men for the last 10 to 15 years, I find that that's fairly common. And so I walked in with, with not probably the best of purposes or ideals coming in. Um, I was just trying to figure out who I was, 
Beeson really, I think, validated some things that I needed to have validated in terms of I was coming out of the business world. I was coming out of ministries that were very activist in nature in the best possible sense of the word. I think what, what my experience at Beeson did, it validated the fact that I, I the life of the mind really did matter, and, and that was very helpful. It also exposed, uh, really towards the end of my time at Beeson, my own arrogance, my own pride, my own insecurities. I, I was deeply, deeply helped by classes having with uh, Frank Thielman. It was tremendously helpful for me, I think, in forming a biblical foundation for me. Again, having coming out of undergraduate with an accounting degree, uh, I was coming out somewhat less prepared than some of my classmates. Some of the spiritual formation classes that we had, my time with Dr. Langston Haygood, then I, I really gained a lifelong friend in Tal Prince, seeing our classmates together. And I think my relationship with him, if nothing else, was certainly worth my time and, and money in, in going there. So it was really a blessing in my life. And I think the broader perspective of theological perspectives and denominational traditions, I think, has paid off well and something that I see being very valuable now in what I'm doing in the church planning world. Wonderful. I want to talk about that. I mean, one, one of the visions that guides our work here at Beeson is a strong commitment to the core of the gospel. Jesus Christ died, buried, risen, ascended, coming again. The Bible is the word of God. These are some of the core commitments, theological commitments, and we hold those inviolate. But around the edges, you know, we, we are an interdenominational school. So we have Baptists, Presbyterians, Wesleyans. We have people of different traditions. And we disagree with one another on a lot of issues that are important. But there are essential matters where we stand together. And that's the vision. And there were significant conversations I had with people that at the moment felt like very strong disagreements, but really I think planted seeds for me to ask good questions and either strengthened convictions that I already had or tested them and allowed me to continue to grow and develop as a pastor and a theologian. Wonderful. I want to talk about your role as a pastor. You you moved from Birmingham to Athens, and you've actually uh, led, I guess, in planting or replanting a church there. How would you talk about your ministry and your church in Athens? My connection to the church here was through uh, Harry Reeder, who's now the pastor at Briarwood, and He's been a friend and a mentor and has done a lot of work in church revitalization and replanting. And he had become aware of, of this church here, which is almost 20 years old and at the time was a little over 10 years old. When I first got connected with them, as a church that had had some growth and some health and got it used here. And then it sort of fallen apart. The founding pastor had left. And so when I got here uh, in June of 2004, there were about 30 adults and they were all busted up pretty good. It just had been a very hard time relationally and emotionally. Um, again, this is just an working story of, of the gospel in my life and the life of this church. Is I came over here because I was 28, quite honestly arrogant, and just wanted to preach. And I'm thankful for that because I think God certainly used the preaching of the gospel to bring healing and hope to this people, and God's used it in this city. But uh, I didn't come here really for the sake of the city or for these people. And so I came here for motives that, that I could articulate that I was coming for the right reasons, but in my heart there was a little bit of a trajectory going on. So we got here in June of 2004, and I knew that it would take a while 
for us to assess and, and deconstruct what what had been created that was sort of falling apart and then to begin to rebuild. And that took us about two or three or four years. And, and now we've really been able to build on the foundation of the gospel and the mission of God in this city. And I think as God has worked in us together, and everyone will tell you that your first pastor, that, that it will have the most influence on you probably more than the people you're around. Well, I intend to be here until Jesus returns or they bury me in the ground. So this is the only place where I'm, I'm going to, I intend to be. So we're going to be learning together for 40 years if God gives it to me. And, um, and so it's been, it's been a very interesting experience to see God work in me and, and the gospel continue to, to, to press deeper into my life and heart and really change, I think, the motivational structure of my life. So where I, when I think of, this church and this city it is radically, radically different seven years later than when I got here. Mm. Well, you know, I, I am so happy uh, to hear you say that you hope and plan, God willing, to stay at that church for a long, long time. Uh, you know, there's such turnover in churches today, and I, I tell our students here, I don't think you can really have any credibility unless you're there at least five years and yet there's such turnover every two or three years, it seems, in so many denominations. So God bless you, Matt. You're going to stay there, plant your life in the soil of Athens, Georgia, and see what God will bring about through your work. I think that's a wonderful approach to local church ministry. That's certainly God's grace. I, I heard you say that when I was a student about being here, and I heard lots of people tell me that. But I think what was going on inside of, of me and my heart and my mind and so desperately wanting to be known and combined with, I think, a godly ambition to see the gospel and the kingdom spread, that I spent uh, a good bit of my time early on looking for the next thing, even though I knew that what was needed here was time, what was needed here was uh, not just for the church or for the city, but for me, was to just be here and, and, and be where God had placed me. It took me a, a long time, and it was really only, I think, by the grace of God, that it was literally sort of like a, a switch flipping for me. And when it was like, I'm here and I absolutely love it and somebody's going to have to drag me out of town. <laughs> now, you've made an amazing confession on this podcast that, you know, when you went there, you were really into yourself. You you say you were arrogant. Uh, and God has worked a, a work of grace in your life uh, to help you see some of the shallowness of, of that and to go deeper into him and into his word. Uh, I think that... Uh, that attitude of a pastor being willing to say, look, I don't have it all together. Uh, there's some vulnerability here. I need Jesus Christ, too, uh, is so much needed in where, where pastors are expected to be the answer man and you know, to have it all together, uh, when, in fact, many of us really don't. We, we also are sinners standing in the need of grace. So thanks for that, sharing that. Sure. I'm very thankful for a church that you know brought a 28-year-old and has allowed me to fail to fail them and has sort of plugged away and for us to continue to just see God do a work of grace here has been very very humbling and very exciting wonderful now I want to talk a little bit about uh, Acts 29 I said I think initially in this conversation that your church is affiliated with the PCA that's your denomination but you also are a part of what is called Acts 29 now, uh, many of our listeners will not have heard of Acts 29, or if so, they would only barely have heard about it. So if you would, just explain to us a little bit, what is Acts 29, and what does it mean for your church to be a part of that uh, network? The idea behind Acts 29, for, 
for those who are looking in their Bibles now or pretty sure that Acts, the book of Acts ends at chapter 28, you are correct. There is no <laughs> Acts 29 in the Bible. Uh, but that was the idea behind it, and the network was started around a decade or so ago by uh, a man named David Nicholas, who is a PCA minister who's recently gone to be with the Lord. And the idea was that here's the continuing work of the church and continuing this apostolic tradition of starting new churches that really embody um, the gospel and this missionary posture towards the world around us here in the States. Um, Mark Driscoll became um, connected with David and sort of took Acts 29 and just sort of began this movement of churches that are starting churches throughout the United States. And we jumped into the network in, towards the end of 2007. And really, I, I got in because I was trying to help figure out how to get this church off the bottom of the ocean floor. And, and I was looking for resources that would help me. And I, I came across, providentially, Mark's first book called Radical Reformation, which is somebody who holds to reformational theology, reformation, reformation, that kind of connected. And so I picked up this book, and it was just sort of a new world, because here's a theology that I loved and I had already embraced with a different, I would say, a different cultural perspective that wasn't completely new to me, but it was just coming through a slightly different lens, and that just sort of opened up the floodgates for me to, to connect with new resources, new people who were thinking about how you carry on this faith once for all delivered to the saints, into the city, into places where Jesus wasn't known. And it was very both exciting for me and very helpful for our church. And so we became connected and, and became part of the X29 network uh, and really committing to both reformational theology as well as this missional perspective on the world around us and, and a commitment to, to being a church that starts churches, that starts churches, that starts churches. And there are X-29 churches affiliated with a number. I know there are Baptist churches involved, Presbyterian churches, perhaps others. So it's, it's not a strictly denominational movement, is it? We spend a lot of our time having to make sure that people don't think we're a denomination. It's, it's really not our intention to either replace the denomination or act that, that way. We've, we've tried, fought pretty hard to decentralize the network. So some of, some of your listeners may be aware of Acts 29 and think automatically of Mark Driscoll, and, and Mark is certainly, Mars Hill is part of Acts 29, but there isn't like this one-to-one -one correlation. It's much bigger and broader. There's m much more nuance to Acts 29 than just pinning it on one man or even one church. Yeah. Now, you've, you've recently been named the regional director for Acts 29 in the state of Georgia. What does that mean? When our church came into the network in the fall of 2007, there was one other church uh, in the state of Georgia that was part of Acts 29. Today we have 15. And what's interesting for us is we don't have one large church in the state of Georgia in Acts 29 that has been responsible for planting all those. God has just providentially brought men from different backgrounds, different denominational affiliations together with this common heart for reformational theology, uh, complementarian approach into how we see church polity, um, a perspective of being spirit-filled and, and then missional in our outlook. So bringing th that combination of things together, walking through a common assessment process, God's really created this network of men in this state um, with a vision to plant and start 100 new healthy, thriving churches in the state in the next 10 years. And my role, honestly, is just to sort of um, help equip and resource 
those guys. I, I, I enjoy immensely seeing men start new churches and see them really grow the gospel into their city, to see them thrive and, and to really grow and develop, and that's been a lot of fun. So uh, I, I really love that part of my work and being able to help those get started and really mature and grow and be a significant player in their in their cities. You're involved uh, in so many new things, new to so many of us, including me, Acts 29, I've heard about that. But you're also related to what is called the Porter Brook Network. Now, that's brand new to me. So tell me, what is the Porter Brook Network, and how are you related to it? The Porter Brook Network was started in the U.K. by two men named Steve Timmis and Tim Chester. Um, We've written a book called Total Church, which I think is a very, very, very helpful perspective on ecclesiology. And really what happens when you take the gospel and... um, the community of the church and the mission of God and weave them all together. They have had a long-standing partnership and had done some work in the UK um, in, in creating what, the, what was the equivalent of a Bible college. And they had um, men and women from around the UK that said, look, I can't travel to Sheffield where they live, but we want this material. And so they created a sort of a distance learning network mm-hmm. that really took these these streams Porterbrook is actually, there's a river called Porter in Sheffield, and so that's where we get Porterbrook. But what happens when you develop character alongside Bible and doctrine with a perspective on the church and a heart for the world? Mm. What would happen if you created uh, a training network that would result in men and women who are both living out and ministering out of the centrality of the gospel, who understand and see the Bible, can read it and teach it through a missional lens, who understand what it means to be a part of and to lead churches that plant churches and what it means to embrace the beauty and brokenness of the world around them. What, what happens if you were to create training content for that? So what Steve and Tim created and wrote and developed, I think taking some of the best resources from the past, the early church fathers, the Puritans, to contemporary thought, what happens when you when you just gather those resources together and try to create a, a system for people to walk through and so the Porterbrook Network is that system. We've been using it here in the States for the last couple of years, and because of our work with them through our church and here in the city of Athens, I've been serving as the U.S. director for that network. But it's essentially a discipleship and leadership development tool that we found has been very, very helpful for churches that are trying to figure out what does it look like to create people who are growing in grace and following Jesus? And so we use it for our elder training. This is how we train mm-hmm. elders. Mm-hmm. We have a two-year residency program that we run uh, young men and women through. We're using it in the city of Athens with a few other churches. And so seeing a really kind of movement through the city that's just using this material as, as sort of the, the training tool to make that happen. You know, when I listen to you talk, Matt, uh, the, the word that comes to my mind when you describe Acts 29, this uh, this new ministry, the, the Porterbrook ministry, uh, is apostolic. I mean, you are trying to do in the power of the Spirit what it seems to me like the Apostle Paul, the early church leaders were doing as they went out into a very pagan world, a world that uh, did not know or spurned Jesus Christ and his message and they were concerned with planting churches, with calling believers together to follow Christ and to living that out in a community. And that's a wonderful vision for our own world, which is increasingly neo-pagan and certainly secularized in a way that uh, perhaps hasn't been the case uh, since the days of the apostles. It is a mission setting in which we're living. But I have a question for you. 
you're talking to people who are listening. Uh, some of them are our students here at Beeson right now, or maybe at other seminaries. Some of them are in pastoral ministry. Some of them are just wondering what God would lead them to do in ministry. How would you know if God is calling you to be a church planter? And what are some of the first steps you might take if you sense being nudged by the Holy Spirit in that way? I'll, let me start from the perspective of here's one here's one thing that people grab onto where they think they're they're called to church planting and they're probably not, and that is somebody who is constantly agitated or irritated by everything that they see around them. They start sounding like Elijah in their city, <laughs> like they're the only one left that is about the work of God and the work of His kingdom. I'll, I'll hear that a lot from from young men who walk in with that perspective that. Nobody is doing this right, and that, that's not the perspective and not really the reason that we we feel the call to start new churches. Uh, what I think drives someone to this, I think, is both the message of the gospel and the mission of God in this world. Uh, understanding the, the cities that we live in and seeing that it's impossible for any church or one group of churches to be able to reach into the contextual setting that they're in, and so there's there's a constant need to continue to take what is timeless with the gospel and to be able to apply it in a timely manner to the world around them. Obviously, church planners have an entrepreneurial bent, and I think for people who find that they have an interest, they have experience, they've, they've been people who've walked into churches and maybe been in existing churches but have really developed new ministries and, and new ideas that's probably an inclination, that entrepreneurial bent towards uh, really wanting to see the gospel um, go out in new ways without reducing the gospel uh, beneath its lowest common denominator and without abandoning what's been there before. So I think that would be probably most helpful for somebody is to understand the message of the gospel, to be growing and their understanding, their passion for it, what it's doing in them, what they believe that it can do in the city around them, and seeing the opportunities that are there to start churches. In terms of moving forward, here's what I'm dealing with in, in assessing men over the last three or four years in church planning. Uh, anybody in who's interested in church planning is usually a communicator, and we can make anything sound good. Mm. We have become experts in creating plans and theories about what we want to do when we start churches. My number one thing that I'm looking for, beyond some of the basics of it in terms of their own personal Christian faith, is what have they already done? Yeah. And so I would tell someone, if you're interested in planning a church, would you, would you plant the gospel in your family, in mm. your friends, your neighborhood and the place where God has placed you. We're less interested, honestly, in, in, in planting churches. We want to plant the gospel in a city, and if we if we do that, we believe that you'll you'll see churches grow out of that. Yeah. And so we would tell someone: start with where you are, would allow the gospel to be planted in you, plant the gospel around you, see what grows and develops, and then come talk to us. If you've never created something before, God might be calling you to that. It's very difficult for us to assess that. Yeah. And again, the, the pattern you described is very New Testament-oriented. This is exactly, I think, Paul's strategy when he went into Thessalonica and began to proclaim the gospel, gathered around him those who believed and responded, and a church uh, came into being right. by the power of the Spirit. Right. Now, Which it, sounds strange to some people. You, you, you talked about uh, our sort of apostolic bent here. It sounds strange to some people in the American South because there are plenty of churches here. And I think as we continue to have conversations with established churches that we, you know, we're thankful that we're in the American South. We we want to take a, a middle position. We don't want to be overly critical, 
neither do we want to just sit back and think everything's okay. Things are not okay in our cities. Mm. We're simply coming along and saying, how can we help? I think when church planning is at its best in cities where there are already established churches, we are simply coming alongside and saying, we're not trying to take over. We're not trying to poach people from you. We're not trying to take your most evangelistic, outreach-oriented people. Mm. We're, we're here to help you in the work of seeing the gospel go deep and wide in the city. Matt, could someone who's interested uh, in pursuing this in their own life or just has questions about it, could they write to you or be in touch with you? The easiest way probably to do that would be to get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter at Matt Adair. You can find me on Facebook, email, M-A-D-A-I-R at missionathens.com. Those are probably a few ways for people to be able to connect with me. We'd love to talk uh, with anyone thinking about church planning or really just the work of the gospel in their city. Marvelous. Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Matt Adair. He graduated with a Master of Divinity from Beeson Divinity School in 2001, and he has worked uh, now for a number of years as the pastor of Christ Community Church in Athens, Georgia, a leader in the Acts 29 network, in the Porterbrook network, a person who is out there in the trenches, on the cutting edge, uh, doing something for Jesus Christ and his gospel. It's making a difference in our world today. Matt, God bless you, and thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Dean. Have a great day. And now here with a special announcement is our Beeson Director of Admissions, Sherry Brown. I want to invite everyone that is interested in Beeson Divinity School to our preview day. The preview day for this fall is Friday, September the 16th. It's a day-long opportunity for you to learn more information about Beeson than you might be reading on the website, but also an opportunity to attend a class, to meet with current students over lunch. We also give tours that day. We also give you opportunities to meet with faculty. Most importantly, if you have not yet completed your application interview, that's a great time to do that as well and just to have an opportunity to spend the whole day with our staff, faculty, and students. You can register online at our website, which is www.beesondivinity.com. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.